Now entering Nerdist.com. It's the Nerdist Writers Panel on the Nerdist Podcast Channel. Ben Blacker talking writing with writers. Writers talking writing can get pretty exciting. But talk can be enlightening. It's very rarely frightening. Ben Blacker talking writing with writers. Welcome to the Nerdist Writers Panel Series, an informal chat about writing, television, and the business of writing television. Each and every panel benefits 826LA, the national nonprofit tutoring program. For more information on 826LA, visit 826LA.org. I'm your moderator, Ben Blacker. Follow me on Twitter, at Ben Blacker. I'm the co-creator of the Thrilling Adventure Hour, a stage program in the style of old-time radio, available as a podcast on iTunes. For more information, go to thrillingadventurehour.com. I'm also currently a writer on the CW Supernatural. Our first panelist, you, you guys are going to go crazy. You already know who it is, but I'm so impressed with these guys. I'm lucky to be here. So are you. Uh, he created Just Shoot Me. He created the show Stark Raving Mad. Uh, do you guys remember that show, Stark Raving Mad? It was with a pre-monk Tony Shalhoub and uh, Neil Patrick Harris pre-everything. And um, the show stacked with our friend Paget Brewster. Uh, he also won an Emmy for his writing on Frasier. He worked on the show Wings. He was nominated for the Larry Sanders show. Uh, and currently with his producing partner, Christopher Lloyd, the other Christopher Lloyd, um, he created the show Back to You, which uh, introduced us to Ty Burrell, who is the co-star in his current show, Modern Family. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Steve Levitan. Hi, Steve. Right here. Yes, please. Sit. <laughs> Thanks for coming. Sure. Next up, uh, he started as a feature writer, moved to TV as the story editor on the show Veronica Mars, and um, after being after a, a stint as a writer and supervising producer on the Sarah Connor Chronicles, he, with writer Dan Etheridge, actor Paul Rudd, and the panelist after him, co-created Party Down which ran for two seasons on Stars. John Enbaum. <laughs> Welcome, John. Thank you. Thank you so much. And finally, uh, the fellow who was also a co-creator on Party Down. He has a background as a novelist and short story writer, uh, early credits include Space Ghost, Coast to Coast, and Dawson's Creek, right? Did you guys know that? I didn't know that. Uh, created the 1998 series Cupid, uh, which was a terrific show, which was brought back in 2008. And uh, he also is the creator of Veronica Mars in 2004, which ran for three seasons um, of you know great stories well told. Uh, Rob Thomas. Welcome, Rob. Thanks. Thank you all for being here. This should be a lot of fun. <laughs> That's what I promise these people. 
Uh, let's let's start uh, by breaking in. So one person here doesn't like a breaking in story and tweeted at me about it. <laughs> Too bad. <laughs> um, Stephen, let's start with you. Tell us how you broke into this business. What's your background? How did you uh, start to make a living as a television writer? Okay, I'll be as, as quick as possible for that person. Um, <laughs> he doesn't get uh, I feel like I'm in my parents' basement talking. <laughs> um, uh, I was a TV, I went to, uh, grew up in Chicago, went to the University of Wisconsin, uh, was a television reporter and morning anchorman on Good Morning Wisconsin uh, for two years after school. Uh, then I moved back to Chicago to be a copywriter at Leo Burnett, an ad agency, um, at, during which time, and all, during both those jobs, I was writing spec scripts without having any idea of what to do with them because I'd never been here. Uh, it, this was a foreign land. I didn't think people could actually make a living doing this. So um, then I came out to produce a few commercials out here that I had written um, at Leo Burnett, and in doing so, discovered that there are, in fact, real television comedy writers and that there are real studios where they actually make these things, and it wasn't just something that I was doing for my own amusement. So I uh, took a job with Disney to move me out here so I didn't have to move myself out here, uh, continuing to do trailers and TV commercials and radio commercials for uh, Disney and Touchstone um, movies coming out. And, and working on specs all along? Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I had a couple, and I just I talked to somebody along the way who said, you, the only way to do it is to move out here. So I moved out, and then in doing that, I just started showing it, you know, the same thing. I'm, I'm around, now I'm around people. I'm starting to meet some people who know people. Uh, and uh, will you read this? Will you read this? And finally somebody read a... Uh, Cheers spec that I had written, and then they passed it along to somebody at a studio who got it to an agent, and then it wound up uh, in a pile at uh, Wings, that show Wings, uh, <laughs> and uh, and I uh, got pulled from the pile to come in and pitch some stories, and uh, and did that, and uh, they liked the story. I wrote it. Uh, they asked me to uh, join the staff. And uh, I stayed there for four years, and then I was off and running. And so you had a background in advertising, so you sort of knew how to go and pitch. You can have any of them. All right. Uh, So you sort of knew how to pitch a story in the room, right? Um, No, it's a really different skill. Well, there's a. I guess there's a little bit of pitching, but you're in in advertising. um, You're. That's crazy. The rain out there. (laughs) Um, It's end end times. This is it. Yeah. In advertising, you're pitching, you know, you're pitching a 30-second commercial. Uh, typically, it's with a storyboard. It's very quick. That you know, when you're telling a story and you really have to keep people engaged for a while, it's a different feeling and a different skill set. And the audience is very different. One audience is very corporate, and they're they're thinking about their product, basically. And and this is obviously much more pure and about just entertain inter- pure entertainment <laughs> laughing at pure <laughs> pure i think it's pure uh so uh uh yeah but it's uh it, you know just being in it you know even though they were i would say this is my third career they were both in they both involved writing and doing things presenting writing to the public to people trying to be creative trying to uh, get a thought through quickly and you know and make sure that uh, what am I telling what am I how am I reaching people what am I what's saying it's not just clever 
plays on words and all that, but what am I trying to get to? And all, all those skills come into play now, I think. <laughs> Probably. Thanks. Uh, John, um, how did you start to make a living in this business? Oof. Um, well, I came from a, I guess, a different direction. Um, I came here out of college very much wanting to be sort of in the, like, capital C cinema, indie film, serious type world. Um, and so I didn't necessarily want to... Uh, I didn't want to go to film school, so I just started. I got a job as a PA, and from there, like, actually became a camera assistant for a while and was just like, I'm learning how to be a film guy, um, which I sort of did, but it was also really hard to actually also be a writer um, while doing all that sort of stuff. So I eventually quit and was sort of a script reader for several years, which gave me just time to write, and I, like, made a short film during that time and kind of continued slithering around in the indie film world, well, I guess. Well, let me, let me um, stop you right here for a second. <laughs> this short film that you made, how, how did you start to pull that together? Um, I mean, you know, like, the way you do a short film or whatever, it was very much like, what are my resources, and, you know, what little story can I tell that can, for instance, take place in my aunt and uncle's backyard in Pasadena? <laughs> um, so I made a short film about a pool boy, um, <laughs> which, you know, it went to Sundance, which was all very exciting or whatever, but, you know, nobody remembers the short films at Sundance. So, I mean, that's where that went. Um, and then just kept writing, basically, and, you know, ended up selling sort of a larger sort of action uh, Civil War train robbery movie or whatever that was, um, you know, put me sort of into the studio rewriting world, which was another, I mean, uh, sort of sad cul-de-sac for me, actually, because uh, with apologies, I guess, to the location here, I know <laughs> zero about comic books Sure. The things that now run, you know, that side of sort of popular filmmaking or whatever. So I was like, I'm never going to get a job again. So, um, and then I guess the embarrassing part of my story, since Rob is sitting right here, um, I shifted into television kind of purely through nepotism. Um, He's my son. <laughs> um, it's not too far from the truth, but uh, I had known Rob for a long time and, you know, had known, you know, he's in television, I'm the film guy. Um, and after a while, and when he got Veronica Mars up and going, you know, I, I was sort of at a point where I was like, you know, I think I, I don't even remember what I'd gone in to sort of sadly pitch my take on, like... <laughs> Thor or something like that and I'm like who's he again or whatever so and you know he had asked if I was interested in going on Veronica Mars and at first I had said no because of the Thor meeting or whatever but then after that um, I changed my mind and <laughs> I, you know went on board Veronica Mars which was eye-opening and terrific I mean um, just because it was so different from my experience being a feature writer um, you know, because you're really actually doing something. Um, <laughs> so that, you know, sort of took off from there. Um, and it's been nice. I mean, I much prefer it, so. Interesting. Uh, Rob? Um, I, I got my start out here in, in a way that never works and wouldn't... It, it, it was like, you know, being the starlet discovered in a soda shop. Um, I, I was working... I had a horrible uh, bureaucratic job for a show out here called Channel One 
um, which is sort of like CNN for high school kids. When I was there, I was working with Anderson Cooper and Lisa Ling and Serena Altschul were all their, the anchors. But I was a former high school journalism teacher who had been hired to serve as a sort of a liaison between the 13,000 subscriber schools and the editorial end of the show. So largely my job was making sure Lisa Ling wore a t-shirt from a junior high in Oklahoma because we hadn't been there. And, and in the meantime, I was, I was working on, I was writing a novel and I felt good about myself because I was the only one in LA working on a, a novel. <laughs> Well, move that mic oh sure. And then one of my duties at the um, at the show was to run this thing each year called Student Produced Week, where we would invite uh, students from across the nation to submit an audition tape. Uh, and you know, we we would get fifteen hundred of these. And my job as a, a very low man on the totem pole was merely to separate the incompetent from the competent, to, to weed out, you know, to get 1,500 down to 100 audition tapes. And in this stack of tapes, they were supposed to write, they were supposed to have come with a letter of recommendation, and, you know, 1,499 of them came addressed to whom it may concern, or dear producers, or whatever, and one of them came to Rob Thomas, the manager of school participation. I, I, I don't know how, but it was from uh, Jeff Sigansky, the president of CBS, um, <laughs> recommending his niece for the show, and I'm not dumb. Um, so I put her in the good pile, and the executive producer of Channel One, not being dumb either, put her on the show. Um, and so a year later, I have quit Channel One. I've moved back to Austin, Texas. I've finished my novel. Simon & Schuster has bought my first young adult novel. And I do the stupidest thing. I, I, I know that I, I have this idea that I want to write in television someday. So I take a copy of the book. It's, not, it's in bound galleys at this point. And I send a letter to Jeff Sigansky, president of CBS, saying, hey... You may remember writing me last year. Uh, gosh, your niece was lovely. Uh, hey, I just finished this, uh, this novel for Simon & Schuster, and I would love to be considered for any shows uh, you might have in production, you know, revolving around teenage characters. I was so dumb. CBS, teenage characters, they don't have <laughs> And I mailed it off believing and trust, believing that the odds were a thousand to one that he would see it, a hundred thousand to one that it w he would do anything with it, and a million to one he would actually read this novel, and and that bore out for the better part of a year, and then I got this call, and I, I remember this because it was Valentine's Day night, and I was <laughs> home alone, and <laughs> and I picked up the phone. It was the hello. This is Jeff Sigansky. Wow. Um, and he said that uh, he had just gotten through producing um, a movie, uh, Legends of the Fall, with Ed Zwick, and that Ed Zwick had the show My So-Called Life on television, that he had just read my novel and thought I would be perfect for My So-Called Life. And this was a great moment for me. But he said, we're not sure if it's going to get picked back up for a second season. Hey, can you send me one of your screenplays? <laughs> I had no screenplays. I had, I had written asking for a job in television. I did not have a sample script to send him. 
Um, he said, "Well, let's you know, let's keep in touch, and if uh, if it gets picked up, uh, you know, we should talk. And if not, and you ever write a screenplay, <laughs> I'd love to see it." And uh, and so I, I got hired by a USC film school graduate who was living in Austin to write a very low budget romantic comedy. Um, he it. Uh, and he paid me a thousand dollars to write this screenplay for him, and I did it. And after I wrote it, I, I this time I FedExed it to Jeff Sagansky, <laughs> and he called me in two days. I mean, he called me right away and said, "You should write a romantic comedy for television. Uh, fly out to New York and pitch me some ideas." And um, everything that I knew about pitching television or pitching in cinema, I should say was what I saw in the Jerry episodes of Seinfeld. <laughs> and it was actually remarkably accurate. Um, um, so I pitched him these ideas, and I had seven ideas, and I had them each on one page, and I could tell by idea four he was, he was not interested in any of them. And I made a very rookie mistake in that... I put them in order from lowest concept to highest concept, and I really should have flipped that list uh, over. And, uh, and he stopped me about halfway through, and he said, listen, you know, when I was at, by this time he, was, uh, he had moved from CBS to co-president of Sony, and, uh, and he said, listen, when I was at CBS, I helped develop this show, Touched by an Angel. And I thought, what about it? Touched by a Cupid. And, and strangely, Cupid was the final idea on this stack, although we had very different ideas about it. And he, uh, I saw Cupid as uh, it, an insane man played by Wallace Shawn. <laughs> and he saw him as the genuine god of love played by Dean Cain. <laughs> and it became Jeremy Piven, so it... it <laughs> It landed somewhere. I mean, it really landed somewhere in the middle. And and he said, uh, he said, well, he handed me off to the to Mandalay, one of the Sony companies, and said, work on that idea. In the meantime, there's a new show, uh, Dawson's Creek, and I've sent them your script, and uh, I think you'll be hearing from them. And so that was my my first job. I got hired on Dawson's Creek, and that's how I got started. That's how everyone should do it. <laughs> If you can't, for those of you who were here last week, uh, Jeff Greenstein was a dance major, and he recommended that route. But if you can't do that, <laughs> um, let's talk about pitching, because that's an interesting story about Cupid and how you know, you, each of you had the ideas, and you, you and the network sort of brought it to each other. It sort of found its way through that, I imagine. Um, let's go back to you, Steve, and talk about uh, Just Shoot Me. Was that, uh, are, are you the sole creator of Just yeah, Shoot Me? Yeah. How did it happen? Where did it come from? And can you take us through the pitching process a little bit? Well, the idea, of the initial idea for the show came to me while I was working on the Larry Sanders show. And I had this idea for a, an episode that we never did because I left the show um, before we ever had the chance. But uh, it was that Larry, it was a year where Larry was dating a lot of he was dating a lot. That was sort of the theme of the year. And a lot of supermodels would, would work their way into that. And, uh, uh, and I thought it would be an interesting episode would be that he's dating some supermodel. She comes to the show. Afterwards, Artie says, uh, and they're going to go to dinner after the show. She's sitting there. Artie says, we have an emergency. The network wants to meet about blank, blank, blank. And he says to Janine Garofalo's character, hey, I need you to do me favors. 
entertain my date for uh, a half hour while I uh, take this meeting. And the episode would be Janine Garofalo sitting in a room with this supermodel and uh, having her slowly unravel, uh, basically. <laughs> So um, that idea started to appeal to me that, um, the dip, that what's it like for people who work around physical beauty all the time and what it, does it do to their own sense of self and their ego? And it got me thinking about that world. And then I did a little investigating into the modeling world. And it turns <laughs> out that the bookers in modeling agencies tend to be people who really, really, really don't look like models. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and, 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 and they're acerbic, and they're and they're funny, and they're and they're interesting, I'm sure. But they sit around this table booking these beautiful clients of theirs, and and I just became fascinated with that whole the idea of like superficial beauty versus you know depth and and, and all that, and um and and it just started to grow from there. I read an article about uh, a father who bought his daughter the Wilhelmina modeling agency. I was interested in um in uh. Hugh Hefner and his daughter, like his daughter was running Playboy at the time. And I thought that was an interesting thing that this daughter who probably has some feelings about feminism and et cetera, running this magazine. So just shoot me, the original just shoot me pitch was, um, you know, I, I'd come off of, uh, I had a deal with Brillstein Gray, which had started a production company at the time, which, cause I'd come off, um, uh, you know, some years on shows and, and and that's what happened back then. They would automatically make a deal with you, and uh, um, and so I pitched the idea, and it was set in, originally it was set in a modeling agency, and then um, uh, they bought it in the room and and all that, and that was great. And I went at, went off to write it, and I wrote the first draft, and um, and I turned it in, and they it was met warmly. Uh, it, it was met um, like okay, that was a nice job. They'll give you some notes and da da da. And and then and I realized in the notes, which was I would say the notes were a at tops twenty percent changes. Um, These were notes from the network, from the network. not from Brillstein. Yeah, from the network. And um, but it it occurred to me that that in tr- tr- sort of trying to address their notes and and dealing with some nagging issues I had, I couldn't do I couldn't fix it with with what I had. There was an inherent problem, which is a young feminist woman, you can't come in and change the modeling world. You can't say, okay, we're going to start having unattractive models. <laughs> like that's a, it's, just, it's a flawed premise. So um, I completely threw out everything. I think I saved, you know, maybe three or four pages of a, you know, 35 or 40 page script and threw it out and rewrote it and um, didn't tell them I was doing that and would have, quit and would have stopped had I not already sold it uh, because it, I, you know, there were some nights where I was like, I do not have the fix for this. I do not have the fix for it. And I really, really would have stopped. If it was just a spec idea that I was just working on on my own, I would have stopped for sure. Um, but I was not willing to call everybody up and say, you know, hey, uh, you, you know, you, you, you bet on the wrong horse. Uh, so... Um, I, 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 I persevered, and then one day I had this, you know, like re- really great breakthrough, which was the ending of that pilot, which was uh, – I don't even know if anybody – you guys are all so young. <laughs> but it was Maya, played by Laura San Giacomo, basically confronting her dad, yelling at the dad about – the dad has a new 
it's revealed in the pilot that the dad is having a new baby with his new young wife, who happens to be her old high school friend, blah, blah, blah. And uh, she's mad at him for all these reasons because she's just learning about it now. And he's freaking out because he's having this baby and he doesn't know if a man his age can do it. And she yells at him saying, don't, don't blow this. Don't let her, don't, she'll push you away and don't let her because that's not what she really wants. So in sticking up for the baby, she was actually voicing all of her things. And that was sort of the breakthrough that I had that allowed me to, you know, I felt like everything kind of fell into place there. And, um, you know, from there, turned it in. They, you know, loved it. We, we made it. Uh, we made it once. We made it a second time with David Spade. Uh, uh, <laughs> and uh, it got a lot better. And um, it started a long, uh, a long run that was, you know, definitely filled with struggles. Um, How long did the series run? I can't it ran for seven years. Yeah. It ran in seven years, I believe. I, I'm within a couple, if I'm wrong here. <laughs> I believe 14 time periods in seven years. <laughs> so, what was, yeah. let, let me just back up a little bit. What was the TV landscape as you're bringing this in? Because there weren't really workplace comedies at the time, were there? Yeah, news radio was... Oh, was that on um, the air at the time? I remember that. Uh, God, well, I mean, it was, it was, those were the Seinfeld years, um, Friends, Friends was on then, I believe, and uh, I don't know, I mean, it was, it was good, I mean, and NBC Thursday Night was still big, mm-hmm. and then we were shooting, you know, for that, oh. and it uh, took us a while, but we eventually made it onto Thursday, we had, a, our, Just Shoot Me was a, a show that had to fight for every, everything it ever had, <laughs> it no, nothing was ever handed to that show, uh, you know, uh, we we almost had the post Seinfeld time period. You know, we almost everything was like you know, just oh, until the last minute you were on the board. You know, you had a story, and then at the last minute we decided that suddenly Susan should be there, and you know, like all these things. And you would look who's laughing now. Yeah, well, but uh, so it was a it was a constant struggle, and then you know, again, we're dealing with all those different time periods and our our own. Um, fan base, which you know the, inter- the the internet was really in its infancy, but people on the chat rooms, which were the real <laughs> rabid fans of the show, because th- to be in a chat room back in 1997 was really something. Um, uh, they they couldn't find it. Like they literally would like, we don't know where it is now. Where's the show? Like and and so it it was a show that struggled, and you know to, to you know always having to do that. It, it had a couple. Like two seasons where it really kind of really hit its stride, got in got into some good time periods for those brief periods, uh, those brief years, and then uh, um, moving around again. But uh, it was you know a, a wonderful experience. It was the first original thing I had ever written, uh, uh, so I didn't even know if I could, and uh, um, it was a scary prospect. So when you have never written anything original before other than you know other than shows of characters that somebody else has created and then you sell it and then you hire a writing staff and then you're faced with putting a bunch of shows on the air and you really really don't know if you have built an incredibly leaky boat that you're about to go out into the ocean in. and uh that is a very scary time because you don't you, you don't fully trust uh uh, yourself. Sure. And, and we'll come back to that. I want to jump around a little bit here so we can go somewhat chronologically. But uh, Rob, pitching Veronica Mars, where were you in your career at the time and what was the pitch like? 
Um, well, at the time, I was at a huge, huge low point. Um, I had uh, I just come off of a, a very unsuccessful four-year overall deal at 20th Century Fox. Like, I had had this very hot period that had gone very well, and then I went very, very, <laughs> very cold. Um, and so... Uh, and Veronica Mars, I never pitched. Veronica Mars, I wrote as a spec script. I had had the idea floating around. And given the terms of my deal at 20th, I knew it was a show that I couldn't sell under the under that deal. So I just held it in a drawer. Um, and then shortly after that, that overall deal landed, I had a general meeting at UPN, and they talked about wanting to be young and girl empowerment. And I said, well, I have this script in a drawer. And, um, and I sent it to them, and, and, uh, and I, you know, there was a champion of it over there, Maggie Murphy at UPN, just got very behind that show. And um, I, and I, I mean, when I, I'm not exaggerating. My, I was at a very low point, and I... Um, we had done that pilot, and I was so happy with that that with how that pilot came out. And um, but it was still a, very much a flip a coin whether we were going to make it onto the air. And uh, I had taken my girlfriend on this cruise and had proposed on night one. And we were flying to New York for the upfronts. Like that was I had bought that ticket, but not knowing whether the show was picked up. And I said, "Listen." I, if it's picked up, I'll write in television. Otherwise, I'm we're moving back to Austin, and I'm gonna go back to being a young adult novelist uh, because this has sapped me of my will to live. Um, <laughs> uh, and fortunately, it, it got on the air. I mean, there were four years where I just felt like I am typing into a wastebasket, where I, you know I was writing, you know, I was getting pilot scripts ordered, and I got pilots made, but I wasn't getting in, anything on the air. So. Um, so the great fortune of that, and it was the fortune of Party Down too, of largely of of getting to write, uh, writing a spec. It's you're getting no notes. You're you are simply doing what you want to do, which was which was fantastic and liberating, and I think why it was good. But, but let's talk about after the writing. Mm -hmm. uh, you showed them the script, and you didn't know. But during that, there must have been some development after. Uh between writing and pilot? Um, yeah, you know, um, if you, I don't know if many of you have seen the, uh, uh, the Duchovny movie, The TV Set. Um, well, that was essentially, you, you know, I mean, it was, it was, for a network that had, you know, loved it and bought it as a spec and hadn't given me many notes in the process, I mean, in the editing room, they were, they were saying, do we really need her to have been raped? Um, well, yes, yes. I mean, it's the motivation for everything. Um, the Couldn't someone have just taken her backpack. <laughs> I mean, you know, there are a couple, uh, the couple things that kill. I mean. Uh, you know, we had shot it. I, I had wanted her to live in sort of the apartment complex that the Karate Kid lived in. You know, so we shot it with uh, with like the the drained swimming pool with the kind of gunk in the bottom. And you know, Les Moonves saw that and said, "Oh no, not not on one of my networks." And so 
the CGI shot you will see in Veronica Mars, it's crystal clear blue swimming pool. That is a CGI swimming pool. Um, in there, but, you know, and, and you know, Veron- I mean, the first five or six episodes on any show are hard, and you're getting hit with a ton of notes, and, um, and then, you know, it, the next, you know, the uh, the rest of those three years was actually pretty wonderful, and everything that I love about the business. And you know, John alluded to this: the great thing about working in television is that you shoot stuff, and it goes out on the air very quickly. Like you write it, and then you shoot it, and you see it, and uh, yeah, that the pace of television is something I love. Uh, so, John, I can't remember uh, what the gap was between Veronica Mars and Party Down, but. What was the the beginning of Party Down? Um, how did that well, the pitch gap process was, go? It was like a couple years or something. But I mean, I don't know if any show has kind of gone from conception to on the air the way Party Down did because it was <laughs> incredibly random. And you know, I encourage everyone to try it. But because um, <laughs> um, we had had the idea for it a lot, you know, we had first had the idea for doing a show like Party Down the first time a friend of Rob's had sent him copies of the original British The Office. You know, and we, he was like, you have to come over and watch the show. And so we all came over and watched the show and we were like, this is amazing. Like, you know, why aren't we doing something like this? Let's think of something. Um, and then two years later, whatever, we did. Um, and had had this idea of, you know, cater waiters. And then every, you know, very simple idea that we all loved immediately because we thought like, oh, it's one of those simple ideas that you can also see just being a show. Um, And, you know, at the time, uh, the actor Paul Rudd was trying to find himself, you might say, um, and had not sort of exploded into what he is now and was sort of flirting with the idea of, you know, maybe it would be cool to do a take cable show that, like, I was involved in. And so, you know, we had shared this idea with him and we had kind of you know, come up with our pitch, as it were, together. Um, and so when we went in, we actually were like, wouldn't it be great if it were on HBO? Um, and so we just marched into HBO, which I guess you can do when you're like, Paul Rudd is going to come to see you, and they <laughs> let you in. Um, and it was literally like a two-minute meeting. Um, and, you know, I don't think, you know, I put my hand out and nobody... Took it, but um, you know, we walked out and they're like, "Okay, you know, you've got a pilot picked up at HBO." Um, and we spent like a year kind of working out a pilot script and doing all this sort of stuff because it being cable, they kind of have their own schedule or whatever. Um, and then we had this weird, you know, and during that time, Paul kind of, you know, rocketed out of our uh, stratosphere, as it were. Um, and this was all. Writing, you weren't shooting anything yet. Oh, right? we weren't even writing anything. I mean, we were just like, <laughs> you know, making notes. We were trying to come up with an outline. And as far as we got at HBO, was turning in our outline. And then their review of the outline started with We understand that outlines are never funny. <laughs> uh, <laughs> at least they understood that. <laughs> and. Yeah, it so, was, a, yeah, it was we, one of, well, not a good meeting. Yeah, but, you know... We loved our outline. Yeah, we thought it was really funny. We had knocked us flat. But, um, you know, graciously, at the end of the day, they, you know, kind of shook hands. You know, it, it, as often happens, and I think this is a great danger, is like, especially with such a simple idea, 
the gulf between our idea of it and their immediate understanding of it was enormous. And it took us like a year to find out. So that it was this moment where, you know, our pilot was just at a neighborhood association backyard party. And they were like, we were thinking more like, you know... Uh, they're uh, catering Will Ferrell's new movie premiere. I mean, yeah, HBO so, wanted to be very inside Hollywood, and we were at a neighborhood homeowners association. Yeah, we wanted to do the boat show or whatever. So at that point, they were like, well, thank you. Um, and basically said, you know, off you go. Um, so we sort of took the idea to FX, and they were like, we love it. And we spent another year with them having a wonderful time thinking, like, this is going to be the greatest experience of our lives. Um, and then a year later, they said, we're not going to do any more half-hour comedies, we've decided. So here's your script back. Um, and so here we'd been years kind of bouncing around with something we thought was a great idea and we really loved and we were very passionate about. But we were kind of you know, going through our options one by one and they were kind of coming back at us. And this problem of pitching an idea that other people have different ideas of what it was was always something that was kind of nagging at us. So... When Veronica Mars ended up getting its order shortened um, in its last season, we kind of were done early, and we just decided, you know, why don't we shoot a pilot ourselves just to show people what we're talking about, just so we don't have to go in there and have this discussion of, like, what the tone is, what it's going to be like, that sort of thing, which we ended up doing, you know, kind of crazily or whatever, and then using that as essentially what we pitched the show with to everybody else. Um, and I think, you know, our agent at the time referred to us, you know, essentially getting the last rung on the helicopter ladder um, <laughs> because we basically took that DVD to everybody in town and got a lot of like, you know, that's fun, nicely done. Um, <laughs> and then, you know, out of nowhere, we just got a call from stars basically saying you know not just we are interested in your show but we want to order the series Did so they we kind of original programming at the time at the time they had like another comedy that they didn't produce themselves um called head cases i believe it might have been singular um but this was going to be their first foray into self-produced half-hour comedy and so it was kind of amazing for us because, you know, they'd seen the thing, they were already interested. We just kind of came in and said, yep, it would be kind of like the thing you saw. Um, and so they ended up, you know, out of nowhere, basically just kind of making their decision of like, yes, we would like to order it. And we would like 13 episodes ready to go by March, you know, this being September. And so we said, that is impossible. So it got shortened down to 10. But we literally went from just sort of having some phone calls and, you know, we had one kerfuffle over like what the budget would be, but we actually never really discussed the show itself. Um, you know, past a few references to like, you know, which movie will it be like? You know, will it be like MASH or will it be like Wedding Crashers? Or um, Stars. Can we get some nudity in it somehow? <laughs> yes, that was their, you know, that was a big, that was the only bullet point, frankly. Um, but that's the porn awards episode. Yes. Um, so, you know, in terms of a pitching process, it was like, you know, out of nowhere. It was like very random and very, we kind of skipped for the pitch process in a way, just because we had the, this, I'll admit it, it was pretty shitty, version of the pilot. Um, and 
once they bit on it, it was all about actually just what are the 10 episodes going to be? What are we going to do? You know, what's the show? Um, on a very practical level, too, because it was like they wanted it immediately. So literally, I, you know, I was like, is this really going to happen? And they're like, we think so. So I just like quit my job and drove to a <laughs> worse part of Burbank and started working on it. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Uh, let's let's bounce back over here uh, to Steve. Tell us how things had changed by the time it came uh, by the time it, the time came around to pitch Modern Family. In the for you for the industry, oh. and then how did that pitch and development happen? Well, comedy was dead. Wasn't it? <laughs> uh, it might still be. Uh, I don't know. I, yeah, I, uh, you know, we we so I had partnered uh, with Chris Lloyd for this for Modern. Well, for the show before Modern Family, and we were on a deal. So, you know, we, we came in with a lot of experience and a lot of attitude. Uh, <laughs> and by that, I mean not that we're jerks, but we're just not. We're sort of, we make it clear to people that we have our way of working. And in a very nice way, we, we have our way of working. And if you want us to work, if you want to work with us, then you have to work with us on our terms. And everybody understands that now, and um, uh, and so uh, uh, it that makes it easier to, to you know you're, you're I mean again Chris you know I think between us we've I don't know I, oh, you know thousands thousands of episodes of television and and uh, you know uh, Chris was running Frasier through all of its Emmy winning years so it's kind of hard for these people. You know, many of whom, you know, had been assistants while we were doing some of those shows to pretend to know more than we do. Um, so we, in a very, and again, in a very nice way, that's sort of the arrangement. And uh, so we went in uh, with Modern Family. Um, you know, Modern Family is a very, uh, it's a very appealing pitch because it's not, it's kind of that thing that everybody is looking for, which is uh, a, a new spin on the family show. Um, because, the fa- you know, let's face it, family shows are incredibly universal. And if you can find a new way to do it, um, then, then, then they're all interested. And, and they were all interested. I mean, we went in. Um, I, I, uh, we had worked, Chris and I had spent a long time working on all the characters and the dynamics um, we had all the characters, we had them named, we had their, their personalities, which all came to be. Um, the original pitch was it's a, um, uh, a documentary, or it's a, it's a show about three families, one traditional, two non-traditional, as told through the eyes of a Dutch documentary filmmaker. <laughs> and that was the original um, pitch for it. And so... What we did is uh, I made a, uh, a key point presentation, which is the uh, you know Mac version of PowerPoint, and uh, in which we we laid out the characters in each family one by one and, and revealed them with pictures of actors that were the right types of actors, you know prototypes for each character. Some of whom we ended up casting. You know Ty Burrell was there for um, for Phil Dunphy. Sophia Vergara was there for Gloria, uh, and. Um, and we laid them out one family at a time, the parents, then the kids and what they who they were and, and you know, a picture, the description. And we brought them all together. And then and then uh, once we got through all three families, we showed 
the relationship between the three families and that we were going to reveal that in the pilot uh, that the, these two, these three families are who were, that seem to be very disconnected are actually very connected. And, uh, and we then introduced Gert Flirty, the, um, <laughs> the Dutch documentary filmmaker. <laughs> and um, uh, so it, 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 it basically, uh, you know, we, we pitched it at three networks, um, and all three wanted it. And uh, a- ABC seemed like the right call uh, for a lot of reasons, and um, uh, that that turned out to be good. When did Gert Flirty get written out? Uh, Wait, or has he been? Yeah, he's. I've been not out. seen the program. He's been out. He he. Uh, <laughs> I've heard good things. Uh, yeah, he we we had him in the first draft. But we, we before we even turned it in, we realized it, it, it really you just lift it right out, and it's you know we already had ten characters to service in a twenty minute pilot. Uh, so uh, having another character, even though he did have an interesting backstory, this Dutch documentary filmmaker, as it turns out, as the as we reveal at the end, as a kid, was an ex- foreign exchange student uh, who came over and lived with. The uh, Pritchetts with Claire and uh, and Mitchell, and you know Jay was a father, and he had a major crush on Claire, and Mitchell had a major crush on him, <laughs> and that was um, another thing that was going to be playing through it, and he was going to be asking questions, uh, but he was going to hate Phil because <laughs> Phil got Claire, and all that. But uh, uh, you know we 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 realized that that's <laughs> best leave him best leave him in the past. <laughs> Uh, let's talk about you guys have all, I guess you know, luck and talent. You've you've been able to bring your own creations to the screen, um, and for the most part, run your own shows too, which uh, you know not a lot of people get to do. Uh, let's talk about before we get into trusting other writers to uh, take care of your babies. Uh, let's talk about getting those other writers into the room. Uh, when you guys are staffing, what do you look for in a writer? Uh, Rob, let's start with you. <clears throat> Uh, sure. Uh, yeah, it's it's tough when you when you're when you get to that <laughs> stage, and uh, you know the most difficult thing is when you you've done a pilot that you don't think is going, and you look at those three hundred scripts that you need to read, and think, oh, God, I'm not even actually going to get to hire these people, but I I, I have to read, I have to <laughs> imagine that I will have a staff, but um, uh, you know I, I'm. I know some people feel very differently about this. I'm I'm someone I like reading uh, just about anything. I don't I haven't been a big reader of spec scripts, or I should say it's not the go-to thing. I I actually really like reading spec pilots. I like reading uh, original screenplays. Uh, I will read plays. I will read short stories. Um, I actually like seeing the individuality in. That sort of work, which is not to say, I also had have written, you know, the bulk of my career was, has been in sort of a weird world of drama with some, with a lot of comedy behind it, um, and so there weren't a lot of great scripts when I was, you know, when I was doing Cupid, I, I read a whole lot of Ally McBeal's, uh, and then trying to find something. For when I was hiring on Veronica Mars, I, I didn't quite know which spec scripts I should be 
reading. And uh, even though it was a detective show, I ended up hiring all you know character writers. And I'm not I'm not sure if you know I'm not sure how how smart that was. Like I would have really at, at the end of the day, if there had been some great mystery plot guy in the room, it might have really <laughs> made everyone's life a lot easier. Yeah, it would have made our lives. Instead, you've got all just like these. You know, uh, character people trying to break mystery, and uh, that was tough. But um, I will read anything. I, you know, the bits of advice. Uh, make sure that your first act is great, because if because I won't read past the first act if that's not great. Um, it really needs to grab you. There's so many scripts coming at you, and you're getting pitched by all the agents. I also have uh, a couple of. Uh, uh, development people who work with me and generally they take the big pile they take the pitch calls and uh and and they reduce it you know from hundreds to uh you know to something under a hundred for me um and then you know i'm trying to you know you try to build a staff um i i've done this a couple different ways. I loved my Veronica Mars experience, which was a very small staff. It was, uh, it was me and five others. And that I loved. Um, and subsequently, when I did the reboot of Cupid, I got offered free writers. And I really filled up the room. Like, how many desks do we have? I'll hire that many writers. And, and found that I wouldn't do that again. Um, like, a happy staff is a staff for me, where people are getting to write. Um, and it's not just all sitting around uh, the room. But that's, that's my theory on it. And honestly, I, and, uh, and I'm actually very curious now because, um, you know, I, I'm doing a comedy pilot right now. And if I am fortunate enough to get to hire a staff, like I'm, I'm a little unsure. Do you? I have no idea. I'm so curious about your answer because I have no idea how to step. Do you get joke people? Do you get plot people? How, how, how do you break it down from top to bottom? I'm very used to, to doing a one-hour show and. Well, Rob, let's hear Please. Yeah. No, I'm keen to know myself. Can I jump in? Yeah. Oh. Uh, oh God. Uh, well, uh, it 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 all depends on where. You, well, okay. The short answer is I think you you. You treat it like a baseball team where you have you need different things. So you got to make sure that you have uh, some people who are at the top. This is what I believe uh, that at the top of your staff, those are the you know you 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 need people, a couple of people around you that are that can take over when you leave the room, who can do things. Those people need to be to share. It's about their they need to share your tone and your sense of story. That's what's very important at the top. So you don't waste your big dollar hires on people who are the really good joke people because um, because it's more important to have people around you who share your point of your sensibility. But you need to fill in the room with people who are really funny. You know, a couple of people could, who you can rely on for. Okay, we need to punch up the script. I got. I know these three guys. These two guys and this girl are, are going to make this really, really funny in a short order where you have other people who tend to be a little bit more about character and story. Now, again, that's not to imply that people have only one skill set, but everybody has the things that they're sort of best at. And um, and so I think it's you fill different positions with different things. You make sure in a comedy room that you have at least one or two people 
who are there to make you happy <laughs> and to do room bits and to keep you laughing in the room and who uh, uh, are always light and who are always cracking everybody up. Uh, whether or not it gets into the script, it doesn't matter. If they're making everybody happy, then uh, that happiness finds its way into the script. keeps the mood light, uh, and, and we actually find that very helpful. Now, we happen to hire people who do both. They keep the room happy, and they also get a lot into the scripts. But um, I, we, I've come to... To, to realize that that's very important. And then, you know, you want people who are... Uh, the, the hard part of our job is story. It's breaking good stories. That's the hardest part. But if you, have a, if you give us a good story, it, making it funny is easy. Uh, but coming up with that story is, is the tough part. So when you find people who are really good at story and really think about things um, and, and are thinking about twists and turns and... Uh, Making sure that it doesn't feel sitcommy and like something that we haven't seen a hundred times before, and they're dedicated to that. Those people are are rare, and those are the re really really valuable ones. And by the way, you also need people in, in single camera, especially, but in, in every in every kind of show, where a couple of people who are just great with drafts, and maybe they're not the best people in the room. But when you really are getting tired and you need a dependable draft, so you kind of you kind of make sure that you're covering all your bases. Uh, that's how, how I approach it. Now, um, we also, you know, a, a lot of it is by reputation now. You know, uh, you're looking for people who have done well on other shows and you're hearing good things about. And then when it comes to agents, what I tell agents, uh, and, they'll, and they'll say, I've got this, you know, person and this person, I, you know, or can we, I hear you have a position and, you know, and I will flat out say to them, because I know what happens. If I say, yeah, yeah, we have that position, send me some people, I'll get this stack. So what I'll say to the agent is, is send me two people and uh, that you that are, you are staking your reputation on, <laughs> that, that you think that I am going to love these scripts. And if you don't, and if I think they're terrible, I will, I will always think you're a uh, hack as long as I live. And I will remember this. So you think about it long and hard about who you want to send to me for this position. And it forces them to actually think long and hard as opposed to the scattershot approach of just I'm going to send you the pile. Because when it does come to staffing season and when we are starting a new show and we do have to hire a number of people, it is – and I know you guys don't like to hear this. And I, and I – by the way. I was in the audience of this years ago, so it it does happen. But it's a it's a daunt it's a you know we get a we I can fill an entire bookcase of the scripts we get, and trying to get through those is a um, it's a it's very it get your mind and you after after when I was staffing I read my you know hundredth curb and my hundredth office um, you know you really they start, it's hard for one of them to really jump out so. I'm looking for any way possible to weed through that process. So the advice about it being great from page one is really important because, again, we're looking for an excuse to say, okay, I did, done, read it, done, didn't like it, done, didn't like it. But if, so, if something makes me laugh on the first you know, page or two, I'm intrigued to go further. and I'm going to take that one further than I would have um, the ones that I'm just waiting for it to kick in. So I usually, you know, we, I usually there's about a ten page rules, kind of what I say. If I'm not if I'm not getting any in, drawn into it by page ten, I just put it down. Is that helpful, Rob? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
It is. Uh, John, what's been your experience with those? Uh, I have none. Um, we <laughs> was, was there a staff on? We didn't uh, have party a staff down? on Party Down, so I don't know. I'm actually working, uh, about to start shooting a network pilot next week, so God willing, I ha- yeah, I listen very intently to what yeah. Steve had to say here. Yeah, no, I don't. I've certainly I've been on a lot of staffs, but I've never had to deal with that mm-hmm. sort of thing. Do you? Well, let me shift the question, though. <laughs> um, when you guys were working on Party Down, which, and uh, this goes for Modern Family, too, these seem like very effortlessly funny shows. Do you worry about... <laughs> they seem that way. You know, it's, yeah. uh, uh, do you worry about the humor? Do you worry about the comedy when you're writing the draft, or is it, oh, like Steve I says, was... do you concentrate on story? Um, I mean, for me, it was doing Party Down. It was a panic just because um, it really was. I had only written hour-long drama before. Um, You know, we all congratulate ourselves that we're amusing people when we're just around each other or whatever. But we'd never actually written a half-hour comedy before. So then having to knock out, like, you know, I think the first season I I did seven or eight – and Rob wrote one because he was working on Cupid. Um, and so just being confronted with that was, I mean, it was actually a great, a great way to learn how to write comedy. Um, so, you know, I certainly learned a great deal just, you know, because we had to write all the scripts in like this two-month period and then we shot them all. Um, so it's, it's like the Steve Martin bit. How do you... Yeah, first you, get a million dollars. Yes, first get a million dollars. So learn to write comic, get a show on the air. <laughs> um, which kind of is what it is. I mean, you know, it truly was a trial by fire because I had never bothered to sit down and like actually, you know, even spec it out. We had written a pilot that we had shown to people, but, you know, I think we took like two and a half years to sort of write it in leisurely moments on weekends and stuff. So, um and your new yeah. your new pilot is a comedy. It is. So, so how, I mean how this is that? a huge, you know, issue in my mind is that question of like, you know, the the great thing about sitting down and doing something party down style is you never have to worry about that question of translating your sensibility or anything like that because there's <laughs> there's nothing to do. Um so, you know, I think that's in the world where this show that I'm working on ever gets picked up or whatever like it's you know it seems very daunting and it seems like you would grasp at things that felt you know like they you know uh, reading a script where you felt like oh this person like you know i get what they're doing and you know i i would have to imagine that that sort of thing really pops out at you because i've certainly you know i know that like good writing is not just abundant everywhere i mean i i've never really you know we didn't have scripts on, you know, require scripts or anything on Party Down or whatever, but, you know, I've known people who have been pulling their hair out, like, looking for people and things like that. So, you know, when something is good, it really pops. I mean, you know, it's not like the 10,000 scripts floating around out there are all fantastic and you're just like, you know, oh, but I'll just take this one or whatever. I mean... You know, you know the, what I was saying before about story, you know, a good story. I mean, a, a good story in our world is a funny story. I mean, it, it, there's you understand, you can see the story and hear, I could tell, you know, we can go home and tell our wives or whatever, or our kids the story and, and hopefully they're, they'll laugh at just the telling of the story. And that's what we look for. Um, 
And I think that that's a, a, a mistake that a lot of writers make, a lot of spec writers make, and a lot of, I would argue, a lot of showrunners make is that, uh, and by the way, sometimes we have made those mistakes in an effort to get stories broken because you, it's a, it's a, it's a extremely daunting mountain at the beginning of a season, knowing that you have to break 24 stories. And in our case, there's three per, so it's, you know, it's a, it's a lot. Um, you, there's sometimes the tendency to rush through them a little bit and, okay, we got that and we got the beats down and da, da, da. And it's all without fail when you spend a little extra time working out those beats and you really understand what everybody's supposed to be doing in those stories. And by the way, you can then veer from that in the writing and discover new things that you didn't think of. And that's always great. But if you, by having that worked out, um, you end up saving an enormous amount of time and the story and the episodes end up being a lot better. And you're not sitting there on day, uh, you know, after the table read or whenever going, what is this thing about? Uh, you know, we don't even, what the, what the hell were we thinking? Um, because a, a show, when the story works, what I meant earlier on was it's easy to punch up. If the story is working, you know, we could do a punch up in, in a day on an episode if it's if the story's working. If we come back from a table read and it's like, this story doesn't work, we could then be sitting in there for three days trying to fix that story. So, uh, and, and in story, I think is where showrunners um, and in, in, in rewrites get to you know what I, I always say. You know, you're you're just there to kind of kick it back into your. Oops, that's no, no, that character wouldn't do that. And it's very, you know, we always talk about we joke about the wavy line in Modern Family because one week it's cool for Phil to, um, uh, you know, to throw himself on the roof of a car, and the next week we're like, no, 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 Phil's not that goofy. You can't have him do this or whatever. And that's a very, I don't want to say frustrating because we make jokes about it and everybody kind of realizes that, that it is what it is. But you're, you know, we're constantly trying, Chris and I, and and, and everybody on the staff, by the way, uh, we have an amazing staff who all contribute to the show and all do amazing, um, I mean, really are the lifeblood of, of, of that show. But, you know, you have to, especially in the beginning, just keep kicking kicking it back. No, 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 no. See, if we let them do that joke, we've just sold out the character. Or... If we do that joke, I don't know why Claire is married to Phil if, if, at all. I have no clue uh, if, if we let him do that. So even though that's a really funny moment and I would love to do it and I, and I know Ty would make it hilarious, we have to show some restraint. And I think that that's one of the things that, that you, know, and, you know, show writers need to do. And, and it's just something for, for you know, when, when, I, when I read a well-structured episode, it's a, it's a rarity. You know, something where I really am surprised by a, a plot point that I didn't see coming that's interesting and earned and, and all that. That's that really, they leap off, they, they leap out of the pile, those kinds of things. So, you know, really make sure you're telling a story that, and I would encourage everybody to, before you write your spec script or your next one or whatever, you have your story and you write it down and then go pitch it to a couple of friends. Go tell the story and see if you can make them laugh. And telling them that. And when you start to vamp, and this is what happens to us, I'll go home and I'll start telling my wife, and I'll go this, and then this happens, and then that happens, and da, 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 and she's laughing. I go, and then, well, because, uh, okay, Claire, da, da, and I can feel myself tap dancing instantly. I just feel it. And then I go, okay, I, I, we have to work on that section there because we don't know it. And you could really, really feel it. So it's a very, it's a, it's a, it's a good thing. Sometimes we even, 
do a thing where we have the writers of the story, the right will one of the writers will sign, we'll work, break the story together, and then one of the writers will have it, and we'll say, okay, when we're all done, okay, tell us the story. You know, tell it to us. And um, that is a good, a really good uh, um, way to, to, to see if people really understand the story and if, and if where, where are we vamping here and where, where does the logic fall apart. And it'll, be, it'll become so clear so fast you will not believe it, <laughs> I, I assure you. Uh, how, how big is your staff on Modern Family? Uh, including Chris and I, or including Chris and me. Uh, uh, it is 11. Yeah. Um, let's, I, I just have one more question, and then we'll, we'll move to the audience. But um, to get back to this idea, you know, you guys are, have all written series. Really, everything that we, we know from you guys uh, comes down to these characters that we love. We love to watch these characters. Uh, when it's time to hand over those characters to a writing staff, uh, how do you how do you do it? How do you trust them to be true to them? I mean, granted, you guys are part of that writing process, but you know, how do you trust them to know where the line is? All of that. Well, you know, I think largely uh, in the biggest part of the job is you are that line. I mean. I would love to get to the point on the series where I'm no longer there and collecting checks. Um, wait a minute, 90210, I am doing that. Um, but, but I mean, but, you know, three years of Veronica Mars, we, you know, John was a fantastic writer and had, you know, had some great writers on that show who knew the show very well, who were on it every season. And, you know, the difference is you, you know, you start getting scripts you know, from seasoned people who, as a showrunner, you, you're like, I barely have to touch that, you know, because that's right where it lives. We all, we've all been in the room for three years talking about this. But at the beginning, I mean, you're making the rules. You have, you know, you're, in, you're saying this is the universe. I, I never felt like it's been handed over mm-hmm. uh, so much. Um, there are people I trust with it, um, but you're always there to, if things veer out, Veronica would not do that. You know, you're still around to to say that. And and there are you know you you get those sorts of decisions of you know great moment, but do our characters behave that way all the time? And you are as the showrunner the, <coughs> the final arbiter of of that. John, you've been on the other side of that. I'm thinking specifically of Sarah Connor, mm-hmm. uh, where. You did have to kind of match someone else's vision, right? Right. Which, what was the experience yeah. of, of that? It seemed um, like it was a moving target on that show, too. Well, it was interesting. I mean, if, you know, if you've seen Party Down and if you've seen the Terminator show, you can probably <laughs> get a sense of how well I did. Um, um, and it was very difficult, frankly. I mean, you know, Josh Friedman, who ran that show, is like a terrific writer, and he's very particular in what he does. Um... And I always felt kind of bad, actually, as like a member of, you know, the writing staff there where I was just like, you know, I thought it was going to be kind of different. (laughs) And that was just kind of my excuse was like, you know, and so he actually, you know, probably ended up having a lot of work to do just in terms of, you know, and that was a very large room, too, with a lot of people who were coming from very different, um, you know, their writing voices, their sort of take on the idea of the show and everything. So it was actually compared to, say, Veronica Mars, which was small. Everyone was really kind of on target. And, you know, 
almost all disagreements or you know misunderstandings or whatever were ironed out in the room you know putting the story up on the board you know usually you could just walk away with that outline and just write a very close version of the script um <laughs> whereas you know on that show it was much more you know a lot of writers much you know much more specific thing you know that was very you know it was an interesting thing to see how that show got made because it really came from all different directions and then you know Josh had a lot you know had many many late nights gluing it all together um so you know I'm not sure if that's exactly what he wanted you know if that's what he was aiming for or if that is his process is like you know get all these you know you know the hard sci-fi guys and the you know sort of character drama people arguing in a room and then we go fix it later. Um, so, you know, it's interesting how it can and, you know, it can work very different ways. Um, I, I, I had an experience my first, really my, my only year on a, on a staff was my first year out here on Dawson's Creek. And if I, if I had that to do it, do over again, I would do many things differently. I mean, I had, um, I had been writing, you know, I'd written several novels at that point. I was very used to being my own boss. And and I had a very, I was confident of my sense of story. Um, and, uh, and the thing that I don't think I understood when I went in there on that first show of mine was that I, I have a very specific job to sort of to hit the target that the showrunner is setting and that that is, you know, that that's that person's show. That person went through the process, sold it, the network bought that person's vision. And my job is to take work off his table to to create. The, if I want to do my own thing, I can keep writing novels. Um, but if I want to write in television, I need to meet that showrunner's expectations and you know, it's. I bumped into Kevin Williamson recently, and you know, I passed on uh, sort of an apology for being such a whiny dude um, on that staff because I would, I would honestly, and I was so I had never worked in television, and I would see his, you know, polish of my draft, and there would be all the revision marks on the side, and I would be offended by it. I would be. I would be upset. I would. I thought it made me look bad in the business. You know, like the studio was going to see it and it had revision marks, <laughs> and I thought that was somehow offensive at the at, at the time. I uh, and now, I mean, if I had a writer like me on a staff, I would fire me. Um, <laughs> I, it was. I, I needed to have a better attitude. Good advice. <laughs> uh, anything to add to the staff uh, question? Covered it. Um, you know, I, I I was very lucky because I I I got into a good system early, um, and I so I was on a staff for four years, and um, and really kind of almost five years, uh, and and that was a, a a carefully honed system that was passed down from from generation to generation. Literally, it was. You know, uh, it went from, the, you know, the the Wings guys, they had it passed down to them from the Cheers guys. Cheers guys had it passed down from the Taxi guys and the Mar then to the Mary Tyler Moore show guys. And then it went back, you know, further to 
you know, as a system of people sitting around a room and, and doing it. So there were, um, by the time I got there, you know, it, it was a, it's a well-honed system. Now, from that, I would come in and being a type A and being a person who was much more comfortable leading than, than following, I instantly started making mental notes of, boy, one day when I do it, I'm going to do this and do that and do that to the, to the system. And by the way, I have done that. But I did it to a system that I learned to work through and that had been proven over time. And, you know, that I think that, that you know, I feel lucky to have had that, uh, you know, years on a staff uh, to, 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 to see, to, to in, encounter countless problems and story situations where things fell apart and, and how we would go about fixing them. And, uh, um, you know, I, I just, you know, remember certain insights that had been, you know, that were in front of my eyes. I was seeing things. I was learning things. I mean, I, I still to this day remember it, it's a, such a basic thing right now. But when you have to uh, hide a piece of exposition in a show that you need later on, you hide it in a joke. And you make it seem like it's there for the joke. That's what you do. Like you, you see, you make it seem like the only reason you're describing that person's fear of mice is because you're making a joke, and it's a self. It's a joke that stands on its own. So that later on, when the mouse comes out of the, hole, it's it's all set up, but it didn't look like. And I remember going, "That is brilliant. That is <laughs> that is fantastic." And it, you know, it's very basic stuff. But I learned that sitting in the Wings writers' room. I had never occurred to me before. So um, I mean, that's a small example of a, of a little insight. But yet, yeah, just watching a system and watching how, not only how you deal with story problems, but how you deal with personality issues and how you deal with with uh, keeping people happy and what I used to get upset about and saying I will I will do something different in that regard uh, uh, that I that there's a I, I had the benefit of that so I feel um, lucky that's great uh, all right let's open it up to you guys and again let's try to keep our questions fairly general you know, you have three extremely talented and successful writers here who have a lot to share. So let's make them questions that anyone can answer, you in the sweater. The question is about the rules of screenwriting. What are rules that you've heard that you like to break or what are rules that you adhere to? Uh, and anyone can grab that. <laughs> I honestly don't think I ever think about it in those terms, to tell you the truth. I really, really, I'm drawing a blank. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I go okay, well. I, if I had anything, it would say if I if it feels familiar. If I f- feels like I've done it, it's been done before. It's a staple. It's uh, it's what you expect. If everybody's ahead of you, then don't do it. Do something different. Just find a way to surprise people. Uh, that's uh, that's about it. Otherwise, <laughs> well, it, you know, it's, it makes sure that behavior for us. It's makes trying to make sure that the behavior is very real. That it feels real. What's uh, it's a, the thing we always say? I, I, I'm like a broken record. What's the real here? What would what would really happen in your house if that thing happened? And we always start from there. And that you know that's our show, which tries to be hyper real. And now another show which might have a heightened sense that might not be their rule. Their, their rule may be what's the funniest thing that could happen right there. And I think you can talk to, uh, at a basic level, you know, there are structural rules that you probably want to adhere to if you're doing a network 
sitcom or a network right. hour long. I mean, it's like certainly that. something where, you know, so much depends on the context that you're operating yeah. in as well. I mean, you know, it was one of the great things about Party Down was that we literally went in and we said, like, this is going to be a show where, like, they fail all the time. <laughs> and they were like, is there nudity? And... <laughs> Yes. And so, you know, then we could do whatever. So that was like, you know, we actually had to really kind of train ourselves to get out of what is a much more network, you know, thing where there are rules about, you know, people have, there has to be some kind of uplift. There has to be some kind of, you know, light, whatever. There's a tone issue or, you know, all these sort of things that are kind of taken for granted on, for instance, network television. Um, So those, you know... Those are more the rules that I feel that, you know, when I'm writing to a content, you know, the context of what is this for? I mean, I've never written a network half hour before, but now I'm trying and trying to find, all right, you know, and it's basically them sort of, you know, essentially saying what you can get and what you can and can't get away with or whatever. But I feel like, you know, outside of like actual rules of like structure or whatever is like if it works, if it has a beginning, middle and an end and you don't feel like you're just not paying attention anymore. I mean, as long as you're paying attention, I think you're succeeding. Um, it, you know, a couple of the things that I learned when I came out here to work uh, in television that I was taught by uh, fellow writers on Dawson's Creek that are, are things that I think about. Or, uh, now, now I think they come easily, but um, you know, the script that got me my work out here was sort of this my dinner with Andre. It was art house picture, and it was three couples in a Chinese restaurant. There were lengthy. It was just page after page of dialogue, and um, and two things about that. One is that someone actually stopped me on Dawson's Creek, and they. And I've never heard anyone say this. Give me this rule again, but I've thought about it. You know, in the thirteen years since, and it was somebody told me like this dollar bill rule. Like if. You, if you were looking at one character's copy block, like their dialogue block, if you could see copy on one side of it, if you covered it with a dollar bill and there was still copy out the other side, uh, excise that. You know, right? Break that up. And I, I was so fond of my own words that I, I would just, I would keep going. And then the other smart thing, and this, and this I ask myself every time I go into a scene almost now, uh, is... What is the latest I can cut into that scene? You know, it, uh, you know. Certainly, I felt like I didn't have enough pages on a fifty-five page Veronica Mars script, and I certainly, you know, working with you know thirty on a half-hour script, I, I I always feel like I don't have enough room, and so the it's always how late can I cut into the script? What can have already take, taken place? What is the least interesting information that can be thrown away in a, in a line in the previous scene that, that excises a page from your script so that you can get to the, the good stuff so that you aren't un, right. you know, dealing with exposition and shoe leather and, and so your, your script has a momentum to it, so it's, it's well, fine. I do think that's a really, you know, it's a quality that stands out as if something is boiled down to its, you know, its essentials and it's as simple as that thing can be then it feels successful to me. I mean, that's certainly, you know, what I, the one rule maybe that I always follow is to try and take whatever is there and make it as 
simple as it possibly can be, both in the way it's like written and the dialogue and just the way the story is unfolded or whatever. You know, are you doing it with as few gestures as possible? And a great lesson in this. I before this panel uh, this week, I watched the Veronica. I rewatched the Veronica Mars and Party Down and Modern Family Pilots, and they're so deftly executed. I mean, those those aren't they real? <laughs> <laughs> no joke. I mean. They, they're great lessons in storytelling because the all the exposition is handled with jokes or in a compelling scene. I mean, seriously, check them out again. Uh, yeah, there, there was someone right back here. Uh, as a sample, better off writing a spec or better off writing, uh, I mean, an original spec or something based on a, an existing show? Well, I'll just, you know, I... I I always felt like I was one of the odd people who liked reading original material as as opposed to specs of other people's shows. Now, I will say that if my show, uh, if this new pilot that I'm doing, which is a family comedy about three families united by uh, uh, Little League sports... <laughs> gets on the air, I may read a modern family or two. <laughs> or 200. I, I actually and I do you know, and I, I, I think my philosophy on that might change because I think I am writing in a more traditional format than I have in the previous things where I didn't feel like there were great specs that matched what I was trying to do. In this case, I, I think there probably will be specs that work for me. Uh, honestly, Write something funny. I mean, it really, it is. I don't care. It doesn't. It, don't, it almost doesn't even matter what it is. Uh, write something that you are passionate about. And so, if that's your favorite show that's on the air, that's fantastic. And if it's a pilot, that's fantastic. It's good to have both. It's good. It's good to at least have one sample of something that is not original, so that we somebody could say, "Oh, I read your original pilot. That is really." great and different now let's see how well you are at uh adapting you know a a pre-existing or someone else's voice voice. um but i believe it i still believe it if somebody writes something that's really funny and really good and i mean really funny and really good and really (laughs) special you will get hired you will get a job you will have a lot of offers you will have a career it's just it's that simple there are a lot of mediocre um, scripts out there that are people trying to address what they think other people want. And just write something, you know, just write something funny. Just be funny. Be, be passionate about what your, what your subject is. Stop, you know, listening to what... Um, you know, uh, everyone says, and you should have this, and it should have that, it should have that ending, and it should do, da, 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 just make it funny, make, believe it, you know, feel like you're, we're, 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 you're, you're, you're conveying characters that, that you know and love, or that, that we will know and love, that because they're so vivid and they're so original, uh, uh, nothing else matters. Uh, if you make me laugh, if I'm reading a pile of script and somebody makes me laugh, I mean, we always say we can teach our system to somebody who's smart enough to make us laugh. So just be honest and with yourselves and, and uh, don't listen too much. It's best we don't listen to the wrong people. Who, you know, you know, anybody who tells you you should do this and you should do this, you know. 
Again, you don't want to write something that's going to scare people because it's, you know, oh, my, this person's crazy. <laughs> but, uh, but short of that, that's all that matters. Yeah, good advice. How do you deal with the stress of your jobs? Xanax. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, you know, I still, get a, I still get a little nervous to go in and pitch. Um, not like I, it doesn't. I can sleep the night before. I'm, you know, I like to be very prepared. But as I go in the room, I, there's a certain sense of being on stage, and you're, you know, generally any idea that I've, I'm taking in, I've spent a lot of time. Uh, I, I've invested a lot of energy, and and you know, I'm I'm eager to tell this story, so I, I want to sell it, and uh, and and I'm always. Uh, yeah, I'm just a, a little nervous doing that, but it's um, but certainly over time that's in diminished, and I don't, you know, I don't get particularly worked up about getting a set of notes. Uh, I, you know, now that is something I've done a thousand times, and uh, and you can start reading the tea leaves, and um, uh, so that. That's not terribly nerve-wracking, and I love the process of actually making television. So being in the room with a writing staff, or being in the editing room, or that's a job I I love. The one thing I, I uh, I've heard I've, there's a story about this legendary comedy writer who had been in the business forever, and he'd written everything, and he was really one of those guys you looked up to, and he was working on a show, and. Uh, uh, one of the young writers saw him like kind of pacing out in the hall and he said, what's wrong? He goes, you know, he's speaking about the showrunners. He said, they've had my script for two days. They haven't said a word. Like, what, do they not like it? They're not. And this guy's a legend. And it, it goes to show you the people who are good never stop being nervous about their, that draft. You know, that's the only thing that I, you know, I'll still turn in a draft of my own show, you know, to our staff and you know, did everybody think it was really good? Like, I'm still, I want to hear that feedback because that's where you're really laying yourself bare. The other stuff is all bullshit. You can, you do it a few times and you start realizing that really, you know, you're pitching to the person who used to be the assistant to the person you used to pitch to. You stop being nervous about those things. Uh, but but uh, I think good writers are always, always have a certain, uh, uh, it's good to be nervous about because the minute that you stop being nervous about it, you start to be, get kind of hacky, uh, I think. Uh, way in the back there, yes. Okay, let's go very quickly through this. How did your cast come together? Because they are, that was some great casting. Um, we, that was literally where we just called people that we knew we could call. I mean, it, it was literally, you know, friends of friends or whatever, and we. Uh, we're very fortunate that when they picked the show up, you know, this was to do our silly little pilot we did ourselves. Um, so these were people that, you know, Paul Rudd obviously was a great resource in that regard where, you know, he had just worked with Jane Lynch on something and was invited her to come and do, like, work on this thing for a day or whatever. But uh, it was pure just, you know, networking. I mean, we didn't ever cast, really, did we, at all? Um, uh, we... we- the first four, four of our series regulars, uh, uh, Adam Scott, Ken Marino, Jane Lynch, and Ryan Hansen were all people that we knew or had worked with and had some personal connection to. And to a certain degree, started thinking of them somewhere uh, 
in, in the middle of the process, as soon as we realized Paul Rudd was not going to be available to do Party Down the series, Adam Scott sort of became the right. guy in our head. I mean, we knew him, and I'd never even seen him act, but I was like, he seems good. He seemed like he'd be good. Um, and he seemed like that guy or whatever, and he's terrific. So, I mean, it was... And then when it came to doing the series for stars, like... First, we were out looking for a Martin Star type, and somebody suggested Martin Star to us. Um, and then Lizzie Kaplan actually was cast like a couple days before we started shooting, just because this is the one area where we, you know, as sometimes happens, um, the producer people want, you know, the hottest person they can get their hands on. Um, and, you know, there too, it was just. Somebody shared an agent. They read the script. They were interested. And then a day later, they, you know, it can be very random. Um, but we got amazingly lucky, I think. And now I'm actually sort of going through the the other side of it where it is, you know, much more, I think, a real art to it of actually trying to assemble that crowd of people through the digital process of like, you know, trying to pick people, trying to make offers, trying to, you know, find the great people through auditions and to imagine how they would all interact together. Um Curious to see how it turns out. <laughs> well, I lay awake at night uh, often, like uh, having nightmares over what almost happened on Modern Family. I mean, there along the way, we could have screwed it up ten different times, and um, almost did. And and that cast we have is is really, honestly, just it's just pure luck. And I mean that. I'm not being like oh, humble about it. I mean, we saw 1,400 people for Modern Family. Uh, our casting director did, and, and of those, a large number, uh, you know, hundreds got weeded down, and we saw them. Um, but, you know, we were putting together a family, so we had to have, you know, that's an added burden that you'll enjoy, uh, <laughs> where, you know, you have to believe that these are brother, this is brother and sister, and, you know, you can't believe the people that they would suggest you've already cast the brother. And they're now saying, well, the sister could be, and there's no way in hell they're related. And the network is like, yeah, but uh, there's, you know, that happens sometimes in families. And you're like, so, um, uh, you know, we went, like I said, we went in in our minds with a number of the parts kind of cast in our heads, and we were fortunate enough to get um, several of those. And you have, it's a very, very, very difficult process. You have to because you're you're often forced to say, do I not like this person because I have a preconceived notion in a different direction, or do I not like this person because this person is not right for this part? And you have to really do a gut check often about that. And um, and when it feels right to you, you have to fight for it hard, often. Um, and sometimes you have to make, you know, accommodate special things like Julie Bowen for the Modern Family Pilot was uh, the Modern Family Pilot was shot with Julie Bowen being pregnant with eight months pregnant with twins (laughs) and uh, if you go back and look at it now it's an added delight for you (laughs) for you to see all the clever ways we hit it but that's what we did. It was a pilot spent hiding the fact that she was uh, uh, literally eight months pregnant with twins and gigantic in, in, in the front. She was, was fortunate that she really was a person who just went like for it. So we had – she folded so much laundry. And she, um, and she uh, had cereal boxes and laundry baskets and everything. And it became like this – 
someone, uh, one of the, I remember a reviewer talked about how brilliant we were that we gave her this obsessive compulsive need to fold laundry. And it was, <laughs> you go, wow, we're, this, is, this is going well when you're getting credit for things you didn't even do. Um, but uh, so, you know, luck, <laughs> luck when it comes together. And we, this close to really blowing it. Uh, yeah, we have time for one or two more right here. Do you ever hire one-hour people to help the story or, or with character? Or just, Stephen, you have the, the pick of every comedy writer in town, so you don't need people. How does that work? Well, a couple of our staff, a couple of the writers on our staff have done dramas. Uh, they, 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 they were comedy people who, during the dark years of comedy, went and did some, some dramas. Um, I've never done that, although I've talked about it a number of times and saying trying to find somebody because I don't think I've never done a show. I've really never done a show that was a long arc, you know. That had like you in Rob. I know you know <clears throat> you guys did, but I that was not. I mean, I've just done standalone funny episodes, and so if I had to sit down and like plot out a really interesting long romantic arc, uh, arc with breakups and coming back together and all that and things that I hadn't seen before. I would be a little bit scared, and then, then I might say, you know, who are those people who are really known for being good at that sort of thing? And I would want to get one of those people. So far, we haven't felt the need. You know, we have some ideas for arc. You know, I've done versions of an arc which are much lighter than than you know, like you know, like the plottiness of, of Friends, for example, which I thought they were very smart. You know, how they were able to keep that going and just basically a. Uh, um, you know, switching people around and all that. I was like, wow, that's incredibly clever. And uh, I don't know if I would have thought of it. So if I did want to get into that sort of thing, you know, with our show or or in any other show, I might then seek that person out. But otherwise, you want you want somebody who thinks thinks comedically. I think you want somebody who who is going, what's funny about what, what's what's the, I, I, you know, I think that any. A, I believe that a good comedy writer can write drama. I'm not sure that there are a good a good drama writer doesn't necessarily cannot necessarily write comedy. You guys, anything to add there? Uh, I would concur. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I you know, with my with a one hour background, I, I feel very confident about about the story end of it. I've, I've done it. I. I Writing comedy terrifies me in a way that writing drama doesn't. I, I sweat more. The fear of failure is so much higher in comedy. Like, you know, we just did our table read a couple days ago, and, and the idea of going in, you know, no one listens to a drama table read and thinks, no one's laughing. But I mean, you actually have to get a, a real a verbal reaction from people in the room. And, it, and, and I sit there at the key, keyboard in a way that I never did with, with the drama, terrified of, is this funny? And particularly writing alone, John, you know, doing Party Down, John and I could bounce things off of each other or our other non-writing producer. And this last thing I wrote in a room, and it was the hardest thing I've done. So when I hire, I am most, I want funny people. Like that's, I want, I want joke people. Like I, I, that's what is going to feel like gold to me, I think. All right, one last question. This had better be the best question in the world. I like that. It's a good question. What are you guys watching on TV? What do you like? <laughs> do you have time? Um. I, I always hate a- answering this because 
I'll mention a few shows and then I won't mention a few other shows and uh, I feel bad for those. Now, some of them are accidental. Uh, I like, uh, I, I think Community is really good. Um, uh, um, I mean, I'm, a, I'm an enormous uh, Breaking Bad fan. That's probably the show I'm most devoted to. But I, you know, I, I'm a huge Modern Family fan as evidenced by my new show. Uh, <laughs> an homage. Uh, also, you know, Community, 30 Rock, uh, those are the office. Babies. Everything the good, office. Yeah. yeah. The good shows, <laughs> oh, pretty much. I've uh, I've started watching a lot of uh, Peep Show lately. Um, uh, nerds, you like that? Yeah. Do you, well, no, you see why John does cult shows? <laughs> <laughs> well, but it's also you know, it's interesting to sort of go outside kind of, you know, the very familiar feel of, like, American network television, just even though, like, actually having now been pitched, like, 20 British shows this development season and realizing, oh, they have a thing, too. Like, all their shows are about miserable people being humiliated. Um, (laughs) But, I mean, it is kind of great to go in and watch things that, you know, have a very different set of those formal rules, you know. Um, So I do like... And also I have, like, you know, I have little kids. I never watch television anyway, so I'm like, um, you know, just what I can remember to TiVo, and I always forget. I I live in Austin, Texas now, but I'm out here at the Oak Woods for three months uh, while doing (laughs) this pilot, and uh, and so I brought, I got the uh, wire uh, box disc. You guys should really check it out. It's <laughs> I'm 12 episodes in now, and it's I think they're on to something. I will tell you, a few years ago, my wife watched The West Wing for the first time. Uh, this was it's been off the air for 10 years, and she was walking around like, "Have you guys seen this show?" <laughs> It's on every night at my house. <laughs> should check it out. Uh, so it just remains then to thank uh, everyone here. Barry helped us made it sound so good. Uh, thanks to Chris Hardwick and everyone at Nerdist Industries here at Meltdown. As I said, tickets are on sale for next month. Please continue to support 826LA. Please get, give them a hand uh, for helping to pull this together. Thanks, of course, to this terrific panel, Steve Levitan, John Enbaum, and Rob Thomas. Thanks for, for, thanks for coming. We will hang out for three minutes. Uh, please do not hand anyone a script and say, can you read this? That's awful. Don't do that, ever. Uh, but you are welcome to come up and tell us how great we all are. Thanks. Now leaving Nerdist.com.